Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's message. Well, good morning again. Uh, if you came in uh, late, my name, if we haven't got a chance to meet, my name is Pastor Josh, uh, lead teaching pastor here at Vertical Church, and we are in the middle of a series called Now Showing. Now Showing is a, is a thing that we're doing where we're going through uh, various stories found in the Bible and, and not so much approaching them from the perspective of, you know, what's the historical, uh, you know, narrative happening here. We're looking at that a little, little bit. We're, we're allowing that to set the setting and to understand some of the culture. But what we're really looking at them, what we're really approaching them as are stories. Because every great movie is based on a good story. That's what holds the movie together, is the story, the, the characters, the setting, the, the plot, the rising action, and the climax near the end, and the descent. Every good show, every good series has a good story. And so that's what we've been doing, is we've looked at Adam and Eve and, and their story. We looked at Moses and the Red Sea. We've looked at, at, at a... a very literally known story about a girl named Hagar and, and how she went into the wilderness. We looked at Elijah and Mount Carmel. And today we're looking at another story, except this isn't, this isn't one of those blockbuster kind of movies. You know, Elijah, that's the one you put on the big screen and, and it's got action and, and special effects as fire is coming down from, from heaven. Moses, that's a blockbuster story. You approach the Red Sea. You've got to have some CGI effects or God in your back pocket to part the waters. Today, we're looking at not so much a blockbuster. Today, it's more like, you know, those, those almost independent films that come out about the time the Oscars are about to be had and they get all of this Oscar buzz because Man, the, the acting is just so good. And the, the screenplay, oh, they're going to win best screenplay. Well, that's what we have today is we're going to dive headfirst into the complete book of Job, which is really an encouraging book if you haven't read it lately. I would encourage you, if you haven't read it lately, to go this week and read the whole story. Because it really is encouraging. I'm not saying that in a sarcastic way. Man, by the time you get to the end of it, which is where we're going to land today, it is incredibly encouraging and hopeful and, and exciting. But it doesn't feel like that for most of the book. In fact, here's how it starts. Let's just dive uh, right in this. We've got a lot of work to do. So, so let's just start Job chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how the movie begins. Before even the opening credits have, have rolled through, here's what we hear. Verse 1. In the land of Uz. Now, not in the land of Oz. That's a different movie. This is, this is not the Wizard of Oz. This is the Wizard of Uz. All right? There lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. That's a pretty good description of a good man. This guy, Job, is a good man. He's a good old boy. He's not from, from Hazard, but, and he doesn't drive an orange car, but he's a good old boy. He's a good man. He's blameless. 
He's upright. And not only, not only does he make good decisions, but man, he fears God. He worships God. And, and it says that not only does he worship God, but he shuns, he rejects, he runs away from evil. So he's running to God and away from evil. This is a good man. This is a good main character in our story. This is a good uh, protagonist for our um, independent Oscar buzz film about the life of Job. Except right at the beginning, this good man has something happen that's going to affect his life that he's not even aware of. In the opening scene, we discover that there's this conversation taking place in heaven, in the heavenlies between God and Satan, which is really weird to think about that God and Satan are having this conversation in heaven, because you're probably asking the same question that a lot of people ask, what's Satan doing in heaven, right? We're not going to talk about that because it's a different story. It's a different kind of conversation. We're focused on Job. And what God says is he says, hey, take a look at Job. Man, Job is a good man, isn't he? And he's telling people around, man, Job is a, man, he's A-OK. He's a great guy. And Satan jumps into the conversation. He says, well, I don't know about that God. Because, because, look, look, actually, let me just read it to you. Verse 9, this is what Satan says. As God's bragging on Job, listen to what Satan says. It's really sly. He's a sneaky guy. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replies. In other words, Satan says, look, God, check this out, big guy. I don't think he loves you just because he loves you. I think he loves you because he, know that if he, he, he knows that if he loves you and he fears you, good things will happen to him. He, see, God, here's how Job works. You don't know this, but I know the heart of man. Here's what Job's thinking. If I worship God, then God will bless me. So look, God, he doesn't fear you for no reason. He fears you because he knows that he'll be blessed if he does. God says, I don't know about that. I think I got a better idea of what's going on in Job's heart than you do. So I tell you what. Why don't you put him to the test? Let's find out what's inside Job's heart, God says. You go ahead and do whatever you want, except don't touch his life. And, and Satan wears him out, man. Satan causes all these things to happen to Job, and it seems like everything happens in a day. Job has all of these oxen, and they're all gone. Job, you lost everything, servants and all. Oh, man, that's terrible. He's all these sheep, gone. Immediately after he finds out he's lost all his oxen and all his sheep, somebody else comes and says, look, all your camels got stolen and I'm the only guy that made it out alive. All your servants, Job, are dead. And right when they finish saying that, somebody else comes and says, Job, all your kids were partying it up in the house and the house fell in on itself because of a great storm. In, in what looks like one day, this blameless man, this upright guy, this, this guy who, who had everything, loses everything. And yet, he, he stays faithful to God. He stays true to God. And God says, see, I told you. And Satan says, well, that's because you wouldn't let me touch his life. Now, I, I guarantee you, God, if you let me touch his health, he'll curse you and die. And God says, all right, go ahead, but don't kill him. Do anything you want to him, just don't kill him. And so uh, then maybe the next day, or we don't know when, but Job gets covered from head to toe in these sores, these boils, it says. And we're not going to describe them because it's kind of grotesque. And maybe you had breakfast this morning. 
and you don't really want to hear about that, but just know that not only now is his heart in anguish, and not only has he lost everything, his, his servants, his kids, his, his, all of his animals, all of his prosperity is gone, now he's just suffering in agony because his body has turned against him, and he's in pain. And yet, even still, he refuses to curse God. Now, that doesn't mean he's not frustrated. He's very frustrated. Matter of fact, in chapter 3, he says, God, why don't you just kill me now? I don't want to go another day. I've lost everything. I'm in constant agony. It would be better if I was dead. Matter of fact, God, why don't you just rewind time and the day that I was born, why don't you just remove it from existence so that I never see the light of day? Matter of fact, God, if you're not going to do that, at least tell me why this is happening. This is what Job struggles with for most of the book. God, why is this happening to me? Have you ever been there? Have you ever found yourself in prayer? Or, or maybe you're not a praying person, but, but some situation in life comes, comes at you and you say this, you say, you say, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. You know, this is a question we've been wrestling with as the human race for centuries. Why do bad things happen? To people who seem to be good. That's not fair. That's not right. You know, if you, if you do an Amazon search, if you want to say, man, I really want a book on, on why do bad things happen to good people, and you go on Amazon and you search why do bad things happen to good people, you find over 1,400 results of books that have been written to try to answer that question. Because it's a question we've been wrestling with for centuries, for millennia, why do these things happen? In fact, there was a guy named uh, Rabbi Elisha ben Abuha, I think is how you pronounce it. He lived right after the time of Jesus. He's a Jewish rabbi, and one day he's walking along the road, and he sees a father and son close to a tree. And in that tree, there's a bird's nest. Well, in the, in the Torah, the Jewish law, there was a, there was a, a code, a, a legal law, that you wouldn't needlessly harm an animal. And so the teaching developed according to that law that if you are going to take an egg out of a bird's nest, first you must shoo away the mother bird so that you don't inflict harm upon her emotionally when you take her egg. Okay, seriously, this is just a teaching out of the Jewish law. And so the father looks at his son and says, son, this is an opportunity for you to fulfill our law, to fulfill Torah, and this is going to be great. Son, climb up in the tree, shush the mother bird away, and take an egg, and you will fulfill this commandment of God. So the son climbs up in the tree, and, and, and the rabbi is watching all of this take place. Son climbs up in the tree, shushes the bird away, and as he's shushing the bird, he falls and dies. And the rabbi says, God, why? <laughs> why would you let this happen? He was, he was trying to do the law. He was trying to do the command. Why? Back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, there's a Methodist preacher named Luther Bridges. Luther was invited to preach a conference in Kentucky. And, and for two weeks, he preached his heart out and God moved and, and revival was taking place and, and people are coming to know God. And it's just an amazing two weeks of ministry that took place. Now, while he was away, he left his wife and three sons to stay with his father-in-law. 
figured, you know, better to be safe with your family. Stay there. I'll go preach this conference. Well, what Luther didn't know until after the two-week conference wrapped up is that his father-in-law's house caught on fire and his wife and three sons are dead. And he says, why? God, I was, I was doing ministry. I was doing your will. Why, why would you let this happen? James Dobson writes about a guy named Chuck Fry. In his book, uh, When God Doesn't Make Sense, it's another one of those books that you find trying to answer this question. Chuck was a bright young man. Chuck was brilliant. Chuck actually felt God calling him to be a doctor. And so he, he applied to the University of Arizona School of Medicine. They receive all sorts of thousands upon thousands of applicants, and they only take in a small percentage, and Chuck was one of the accepted applicants. And his first year uh, of medical school, he felt God calling him, and he accepted the call of God to forego a lucrative practice in the medical field where it's all about him and how much money he can make. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get my medical degree and I'm going to get certified and I'm going to go into foreign medical missions. I'm going to become a medical missionary. I'm going to take the gospel to people and also help them with their basic health needs. Except in the May, in, in May of his first year of, of med school, he discovered that he had leukemia and by November of that year, he's gone. God, that's not fair. And maybe your situation isn't that, that drastic. Maybe your situation is, God, it's not fair that I've worked for this, this company for 17 years and the promotion that I deserve, somebody else got. Or, or maybe your situation is, I worked for 17 years and now they've laid me off. God, that ain't fair. I gave my life to them. God, I, I, I worked for them so hard and now... That's not, that's not right. It's not right, God. You did everything right. Maybe your situation is that you and your husband have, have been attending this church and you see everybody else getting pregnant. Lord, babies popping out all over the place. We might have one born in the theater today. We don't know. It's like they're everywhere. Except for you. Because you've been trying for years and you haven't been able to get pregnant. God, it ain't fair. Right. Our babies are popping out all over the place, but not for us. Or, or maybe you're in the room and you say, God, I did, I did everything right, and yet now I'm struggling just to make ends meet. It's not fair. It's the exact same question that Job wrestles with. God, it's, it's not fair. Why? Because that's what, when you get in one of those situations, man, that's the, that's the question you want answered. Because if I can just know why, then maybe I can, I, can, I can get through it. Well, Job is asking that question, and he has three friends come along. Their names are Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. I'm going to call them today the super friends. And the super friends all respond to Job because Job's saying, why, God, why? And all of them pretty much say the exact same thing. They say, look, Job, you've got to understand something, bro. God's not just involved in our daily life, but God is, in fact, actually handing out judgment based upon our actions in this life. So Job, look, here's the deal. When, when something happens to someone, good or bad, positive or negative, when something happens to a person, it is because God 
has determined whether or not they have been pleasing to him or not. Look, this is what the super friends tell Job. Job, this must be happening to you for a reason. When life goes well for a person, it's a sign that God has, has approved of them and that they have been good. When life goes bad for a person, it's a sign that they must have sinned against God and God's angry with them and God is, is judging them with this, this difficult situation. Look, Job, here's what the super friends say time and time again. For most of the book, they say God is fair and people get what they deserve. Because, because the super friends, their question is not like Job. Job. Job's question is, why is this happening to me, God? And the super friends say, Job, that's not even important. The question you have to answer, Job, is what did you do to cause this? What did you do to cause this? Because there must be a cause. Now, look, we can look at them and, and act like, you know, they don't know what they're talking about, but we do this all the time. We look back at our, our past and, and we're going through a tough time and, and so often we wrestle with the question, God, what did I do? Where did I go wrong? What choice did I make that was, was bad? It, am I going through this because I'm being punished? Well, Job, man, he doesn't have anything to do with it because he knows he didn't do anything. And he protests and he says, no, that is not right. I haven't done anything to deserve the kind of misery I'm going through right now. I haven't done anything to reserve the kind of illness that I have. I haven't done anything to deserve losing all of my children. I haven't done anything to deserve losing all of my financial uh, status and my financial prosperity. I haven't done anything to do that. And over and over, and every time Job speak, he speaks, he just asserts that he's innocent and frustrated. And really, if nothing's going to change, he just wants to die. And it's it's exactly why the whole thing is frustrating to him. Because, check this out, Job believes the exact same way his friends do. Job believes that people get what they deserve. And so when he looks at his situation, he says, I don't deserve this. So why am I getting what I don't deserve? See, Job will admit that he's not perfect. Look, guys, I'm not perfect, but gosh, I don't deserve this. The, I... Maybe a little bit, maybe, maybe 50 oxen go missing, but not all of them. I don't deserve this extent. <laughs> so why? And the super friends keep trying to answer them, but their reasons aren't cutting it. And here's why. Because when you're in a situation like that, and you want to know why, there's not a reason that'll cut it. You know what? If you're asking the question, why is this happening to me? Can I tell you a secret? There is no why that's good enough for you to know. There's no why. Why is this? No why will ever cut it for you. This is not going to be a good enough answer. And Job says as much as that. He goes on this long tirade where he basically demands that God show up. God, you need to show up and prove that I'm right in the situation. Look, God, and he lays out exactly how good he's been. God, I've been good for other people. I've helped other people. Lord, I've, you've seen me help widows and orphans. I have taken care of their needs. I have done good. Lord, when I was prosperous, I was equally generous. It's not like, Lord, that I, that I had all this prosperity and held on to it, God, but I was generous 
and gave. Lord, people used to seek me out for my wisdom and they held me in honor. I don't deserve this. Lord, I was upright. I, did, I aced every test. I passed with flying colors. I was an upright person. Man, I was pure. God, I'm, I was so pure that I made a covenant with my eyes that I would not even look at a woman with unclean thoughts. That's how pure I was, God. Well, when Job finally quits talking, there's this young punk guy named Elihu that he shows up. And he's a little bit better than the super friends, but he's not much because he speaks overconfidently. Because that's what happens when you're young and you haven't been through stuff. You know what I'm saying? When you're young and you haven't been through the storm, when you're young and you haven't been through, been through hell, you can talk like he talks. Because he says, Job, God's trying to teach you something. It's real easy to say when you haven't been in Job's shoes. Right? And the best thing that he does in the whole situation is that he prepares. The last words that he says is he's talking about the glory and the majesty of God. And he opens it up ready to hear. Finally, God in chapter 38, God shows up and speaks. And when God speaks, Job shuts up, the super friends shut up, the young punk shut everybody closes their mouth when God speaks. But when God speaks, he doesn't speak to vindicate Job. He doesn't speak to prove Job right, but he also doesn't speak to prove the friends right. When God, speak, God, God speaks in this situation, God does something very, very interesting. God starts asking questions. You know, our whole series is based on questions. Every week we've been looking at one or two or three central questions. Today there's a bunch of them because God just lets loose. Questioning Job, questioning the friends, questioning, questioning, questioning. And that's how he starts in chapter 38, verses 1 and 2. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, look at this, this is awesome. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Let me, let me break that down for you in common English. Who is this who keeps opening their big mouth? The stupid questions? Seriously, this is what God says. Who is this? Who dares open their big, fat, stupid mouth? Well, as soon as you hear that, you know you Not me. Job doesn't say a word. And then God just releases, man, this litany of questions. And God's questions are intended to give Job and his friends some perspective. Look at these. I'm just going to read a few of them for you. I'm going to bounce through here. Uh, if you can follow along, that's great. If not, you just trust me, all right? Verse 4, where were is questions God starts asking them. Look at this. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me. If you understand who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb, God looks at him and says, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? God says, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of deepest darkness? 
God, God looks at him and says, what is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Come on, Job, you got some answers. I got some questions, bro. Won't you answer one of my questions? Come on, dude. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail? Come on, Job, have you seen that? Do you know where that comes from? No, you don't. What is the way to the place where lightning is dispersed? Or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Job, 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 who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wonder about for lack of food? Job, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Who let the wild donkey free? Who let the dog out? Who? 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 You just hear God just, come on, Job. Answer the question. Who did it? Who untied its ropes? Come on, you seem to be so bright and brilliant. Don't you know the answer? Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you, Job, do you make it leap like a locust? Striking terror with its proud snorting? Come on, Job. Come on. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings south or toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? I love this one. Chapter 41, verse 1, because I think this is funny. Can you pull in the Leviathan with a fish hook? Now, you don't know what a Leviathan is. I don't know what a Leviathan is. Most scholars think he's talking about an alligator. So let's read it that way. Can you pull in the alligator with a fish hook? Can you do that, Joe? Can you just picture that for a second, right? You ever watch like those alligator shows? Imagine you got a fishing pole with a little tiny hook on it. Bro, you going to pull that thing in? Come on, Joe. Come on. Can you tie its tongue down with a rope? I can't, but I know a guy who can. God, God, just, God just unleashes on them all of these questions. And here's why. Because the super friends, along with Job and, and the young guy, they're all approaching life from the perspective of one word. Karma. Karma. Now, you might be like, whoa, whoa wait a second. Isn't that, a, isn't that like a Hindu word or, or a Buddhist word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's where we learn, learn about it from. But, but check this out. This one word is at the center of every religion on the planet. Because karma says this, karma is this, you get what you deserve. There is a cause and effect relationship with every action that you take. Matter of fact, this isn't just in religion, this is in science. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. That's physics 101, karma. It's the, it's the engine that drives the system of effects and actions. Every religion has this. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Y'all, this is in our Bible. You reap what you sow. Look, that's, that's true. Here's the catch about karma. It's true, but it's not universal. It is true, but it's not 
universal. It doesn't always work. Have you ever heard somebody, they're going through a tough time or, and somebody just tries to give them the encouragement? Well, you know, I just, I just believe everything happens for a reason. Why don't you try telling that to Job? Job, I just believe, you know, you lost everything for a reason. There's a, there's a reason out there. there mu- Look, here's the effect. There must be an action that has caused this. There must be a reason. Hey, that's the exact same advice that his friends gave. Job, there must be a reason for this to happen. Look, some of the super, if you read through the book of Job, some of the friends' advice sounds really good. It does. It sounds really good. It sounds spot on. It sounds right because we're really comfortable with karma. We like karma. It makes sense to us. It sounds right to us. And to an extent, it is. You do reap what you sow. But it's not universally true because what do you do? What do you do when when bad things happen to good people? Karma can't answer that question. Karma tries to answer that question by saying, what did you do to deserve it? Because, because bad things only happen because there's an action that causes a reaction. See, karma tries to take the question of why do bad things happen to good people and says, well, you must have deserved it because you're not really that good anyway. And then you look, if you're like Job, the, the problem is, is that, that, that karma fails. <laughs> there's a time in life where you look and say, this, the, the cause and the effect, look, that doesn't match. That doesn't match. And you know what Job does? When, when, he's, when he's approaching life from the perspective of karma, that there's cause and there's effect, and it's always true, when it doesn't happen, he almost goes crazy. God, I just, look, if this isn't true, then I just want to die. Because my whole life has been centered around good things, you do good things, and good things happen to you. You worship God, and He blesses you. And see, the problem with asking why and what is that there is no answer. Job asks these questions. Look, in chapter 24, he says, God, he, he, he gets outside of himself and he says, God, why, why do evil people flourish? Why, why, God, are the poor oppressed? God, why are the homeless hungry, and yet you aren't doing a thing about it? Hey, I feel that. If you don't feel that, then you're like living under a rock. If you don't look at our world and look at situations and say, God, that ain't fair and you ain't doing a thing about it. Why? Chapter 31, he says, Lord, if I had done something wrong, I would deserve this, but I haven't. Look, when bad things happen, can I tell you a secret? God isn't that concerned with karma. When bad things happen, God's primary purpose is not to answer the question why, nor answer the question what. God doesn't give a flip about why it's happening. God doesn't care about what you did. Because here's God's primary purpose. Here's God's question to answer when bad things happen to good people. Who? That's God's question. Who? When, When creation was created, and while creation is being sustained, who is there who is sovereign who is in control look job's suffering and job doesn't know this but but job's suffering is the result of a contest in heaven 
between God and Satan because Satan has argued that people are righteous only if they get paid for it. God, people love you and worship you only because you bless them. And God says, no, they don't. Satan, Satan says, look, God, will the godly love you just for yourself or do they love you because of the benefit of your hands? And so the friends are saying, look, look, God is almighty and just and, and, and suffering and pain is the result of human sin. And so there's no such thing as undeserved suffering. Doesn't exist. That's karma 101. There is no such thing as undeserved pain. And Job says, look, I know my life and the, the, what I'm going through right now, I don't deserve this. You know, the brilliance of this story is that Job, it, it looks like when you're reading it, after you get past the first couple of chapters, it looks like God is on trial. It looks like God is calling or Job is calling God to account for his actions and inactions. It looks, like, it looks like Job is asking God to explain himself. And, and when you get to the end, it turns out that it's not God on trial. It's us, you and me, and Job. And the question is, will we trust God, not only when we receive no immediate benefits from him, but will we also trust him when he doesn't even offer an explanation? Will we trust him? You know, the big question in life is not why do bad things happen to good people? That's not even the right question to ask. The, the big question is, will we still pursue God in a world where karma ultimately fails? Will we trust him? Is his presence enough without the benefits? Will we trust him when bad things Happen. And I hope you get this, because here's where it all comes together, right here in chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Because finally, God has, has asked his questions, and now we get to see Job's response. Because Job got it. It's like, oh, I got it. And I hope you get it. Because if you get it, when you go through hell, you're going to have something to hold on to. Because look what he says. Look at this. Awesome. Verse 1, then, God, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. He says, look, I've been asking questions that have been the wrong questions. Verse 4, you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. Verse 5, this is where you got to get it. You, if, you don't, if you miss this, you miss the whole point of the entire book. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. you see, God, I'd heard about you before. I'd heard about your goodness I had heard that you were a great God. I had heard about your might. I had heard about your power. I had heard about your love. But now, when now? Now in the middle of going through hell now. Now in the middle of losing everything now. Now in the middle of losing all of my kids now. Now, now. Now in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the suffering. Now, now. I'd heard about you. But now... In the middle of all this stuff that doesn't make any sense, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the pain, my eyes have seen you. 
See, the question is not what or why, but who. Who's there in the middle of your chaos? Who's there in the middle of your pain? Who's there in the middle of, uh, of when everything else is going completely out of control? Who's there? Through all these questions, God has, has been telling Job, look, Job, I was there when, it, when, when I created it, and I've been sustaining it the whole time. Job, what makes you think that I haven't been here with you? What makes you think that I have left you and forsaken you? Who's been with you? And that's the question that we have to answer. Who? 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 Job says, Lord, I have encountered you. I've been in your presence. Job has been wanting to know the whole time why, but the only thing he really needs to know is who. Who's been with him? Because who is the only question that really matters? Because if you struggle to answer what and why, no answer will suffice. No answer will bring satisfaction. But if you answer who, what, and why become irrelevant. It doesn't matter what, and it doesn't matter why, as long as I know who. If I know who, then I know I'll get through. I know that I will make it. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would look like in your life and in my life, in any situation that we find ourselves in, if we focused on seeing God in it? Good or bad, positive or negative, we approach every situation by saying, God, I just want to see you in the middle of it. Can you imagine what would happen in our family? In our family, when, when everybody that lives in our house knows that we're going through it, and they also know that our main question is, God, would you show up? Would you let me see you in the middle of this? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen with our neighbors who know bits and pieces about our life, but when they see us going through it and they see us not going through it alone, but going through it trusting that God is with us? Can you imagine the impact that would have on their life? Can you imagine the impact that would have on your spiritual life, on, on your trust in God? If in the middle of it, you just say, God, I want to see you. And if you're with me, then we can get through. Can you, can you imagine what that would do to your confidence in God and your faith in him? I love in chapter 38 when God speaks because it's so cool where and from where God speaks. The, the scripture says, the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. You know what that tells me? That tells me that God was in the storm the whole time. That tells me that in, in, the, in the storm of Job's life, God was in there with him the whole time. So when God speaks, he speaks out of the storm. Maybe you're going through a storm today. Maybe you feel like there's nothing but chaos around your life. Do you know that God is with you in the chaos? He's with you in the storm. He's there. His presence is there. The fact that you've made it this far is a testimony to the fact that God has been there holding you up the entire time. 
And you think it's by your own strength that you've made it. You think that you've been holding it together. Listen, God's been the one holding it together the whole time. He's been with you in the storm. He's been with you in the chaos. He's been with you. And if you'll listen, and if you'll look for Him, you'll see Him in the storm. And if you'll, if you'll tune your ears in, He'll speak to you out of the storm. Let's pray. Lord, we know that storms come and storms go, and, and some are worse than others. We know that there are some things that happen in life that just doesn't seem like we'll ever recover. And then there are things that are happening in our lives that if other people looked at them, they might not think that's really a big deal. But to us, God, it is a big deal because we're the ones in the middle of it. Lord, I think of people today that I look at their life and, and I'm amazed that they're making it through. God, that's a testimony. That's a testament to your grace and your power upholding them in this time. Lord, there are people in this auditorium this morning. Maybe, God, they're, they're, not, they're not suffering to the extent of Job, but and it feels like it. it. feels like it, God. Today, would we stop asking why? Would you lead us to a place where we can stop asking why and just start asking who? And Lord, would you open our eyes to the reality that you have been with us the entire time. That there was never a moment in this storm, there's never been a moment in this chaos, there's never been a moment of this pain and suffering that you haven't been there. You have cried with us. You have held us when we, when we didn't think we would be able to walk. Your grace has strengthened our resolve to make it through. Today, Lord, there are people here in the middle of the storm and they're not sure what to do. Would you speak to them out of the storm? Like you did, Job, God, would you give us perspective that you've been here all along? You know, while our heads are down and our eyes are closed, I just want to ask you specifically, you say, Pastor Josh, I'm going through the middle of the storm right now. I, I feel it. Life is chaotic. I've been asking why. I've been telling God this isn't fair. This isn't right. I don't deserve this. And I haven't, uh, there's nothing that has helped me understand what's going on. But I hear you today, and, and I want to see God. Because I know if I can see Jesus in the middle of my storm, all of my other questions will fade away. If I could see God, and He see His presence, then I know I'll make it through. If that's you today, you're going through something going through a storm of life and you just you want to change your question from what or why to who I want to pray for you I want to pray for you would, would you do me a favor would you just slip your hand up and write back down Pastor Josh I would thank you I've been, I've been asking what I've been asking why thank you thank you for that hand I'm going through the middle of a storm and I just need to see God in the middle of it thank you 
just slip your hand out, put it right back down. Just an acknowledgement that, yes, I am one of those that need prayer. Would you pray for me? Thank you, thank you. You know, those of you in this room also, maybe, maybe you don't know Jesus. And so you're wondering, man, I don't even know Jesus. I don't even know if he's in the middle of my storm. Listen, listen I, I want to speak something very confidently to you. Jesus is in the middle of your storm. It matter if you know him. He is coming at you. He is, he is pursuing you. Of course he's in the middle of your storm. Would you this morning, would you... Would you receive the grace that He's giving you to reach out to Him? Would you receive the grace that He's extending to you so that you can reach out and take hold of Him and say, Lord, I need you to get me through this. That's you. Literally, there's no form, there's no formula. Just reach out to Him with your heart. Lord, I need you. Save me need you, I need you. I'm going to pray one more time. Lord, we are confident that your scripture says that you will never leave us nor forsake us, but that you will go with us into the very ends of the earth. And Lord, unless I am mistaken, we are not at the ends of the earth. It may feel like it, but we're not there. So you're with us. We don't have to wonder or question. Today, God, those who have acknowledged they're in the middle of the storm, would you just show up? Speak to them in the middle of their storm. Speak out of the storm. Show them that you have been the one carrying them the whole time. Let them feel your presence upholding them. God, those who, who would say, I don't even know Jesus, but I know I'm in the middle of a storm and I need to help. Lord, you are, you are a strong and present help in a time of trouble. And we could reach out to you. And you will be there to save us, not only from the storm, but from the ultimate storm of sin and death in our life. Save us, Jesus. Help us see from your perspective what we need to see in the middle of the storm. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell, and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.